0: so are you feeling better do you have the flu
1: yep yep i am alive uh-huh. now i still have got a little bit of cough and uh-huh. i have to like blow my nose yeah. a little bit but I am alive and I'm not covered in 18,000 comforters. That's good. Yes.
0: I mean it's I mean maybe it's not good. That sounds kind of nice. I mean
1: it was really nice yeah. except for the whole like being freezing part. Yeah. But yeah, I so the flu would not recommend it. Yeah. Although I did like after I just like wasn't getting better, like mm-hmm. went to the pharmacy and I just like couldn't breathe and I mm-hmm. couldn't lay down, so I mm-hmm. had to like sleep propped up like a nice. horse. Yeah. Um so I went <laughs> And like I've been using my same pharmacy for like over a decade. Right. They know me by name, you know, whatever. And I went in there and I just like started to cry. And they like went behind the counter and they like pulled out all the good like medicine for me. And I didn't have to do God. any of my own shopping. God
0: damn. I know. Wow. Um, well, you missed a conference.
1: I did miss the conference. You missed the conference. I was really bummed about that. It
0: was um it was pretty fun. It was me. I taught a course on what did queries. You teach? Oh. Which, I still to this day. I mean, I guess I understand why it is the angst-ridden thing that it is mm-hmm. in the in the writing world. Um, it's the first. Um, you know, it's the gatekeeper. It's the first step where you don't really know if you're going to hear anything. It's a total mystery, and I get that. It's but also
1: 350 <laughs> words that you have total control over <laughs> no, rather just, than, like, your 100,000-word yeah. unwieldy manuscript yeah, no, that you just, can't just edit in an, in 20 minutes. It yeah. still
0: feels like it occupies an unnecessary amount of time and space in everybody's psyche. And But I tell you, when you teach that course and everybody, like— People really respond, like, more so than any, like, actual writing course or anything yeah. that I've taught. People want to know how to pitch.
1: So how many people were at your session?
0: I mean, it was probably somewhere in the range of, like, I bet I had, like, 75 people. Holy cow. It was a lot. It was a lot. Like Damn. They, it was just, like, this big room, and, like, it was one of those situations where... Um, they let me walk around with the microphone. Oh, that's a terrible idea. Like I was given like a, like I almost wanted to have like one of those like turtlenecks on so I could give like the TED talk, you know? <laughs> like imagine a world. Like, you know, it, it was one of those things. Or like but, you were running bingo. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, like cruise line bingo, like on their like, on seniors night, like doing, <laughs> like you just walk around. Who's got the O, folks? Like it's, That's what it feels like walking around with a microphone. I hate it. I would much rather teach from a podium, but there was no podium. Oh, bummer. It was just me, like
1: yeah, because then you couldn't like do weird things with like your hands when you got bored. Well,
0: so the weird things, the weird things with my hands. Um, someone, I think it was Eric Smith, who was there as well, um, took a bunch of pictures during the day and like every I know he texted them to me. Every single one of me features me like holding myself like by the arms. (laughs) I'm like. I can't like I, I'm such a bad like public speaker in terms of like I'm a, I'm pretty good you know between doing this and stuff like I can sound okay but um, you're holding your own. Hand. My body language is just <laughs> it's just got to be atrocious. I'm like holding myself. I'm like shrugged over. I'm like definitely like trying to like comfort myself. I yawn sometimes in yeah, the middle I of know. speeches. That's really good. Um, yeah. It's. Yeah, all in all, I'm I'm really great. But then we then we did um, in person pitches.
1: Those are the best.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh that's a real hoot because most of the time at these conferences, I like who goes to writing conferences, right? Like name the types of authors.
1: Um, okay, so people who just want to go because they appreciate the community but don't really care about being published. Uh huh. Um, and then you've got the people who are just like so. Into the idea of being one-on-one with an agent.
0: Now, so give me some genres and categories too.
1: Um, so a lot of the time, there's a lot of like memoir. There's a lot of women's fiction. There's a lot of children's. There's a lot of spec fic.
0: Yep. So I don't do any of those things. (laughs) Uh,
1: You would do some um, good women's fiction.
0: I do. I actually, yeah. I mean, I do some of that, and I like spec fic is something I do kind of like. But um, by and large, most of the people pitching me books in person. I am no I don't care what that is. I'm I'm it's probably not for me. And it creates this great situation where they sit down for their ten minute window and within the first thirty seconds you know that like you don't nothing is gonna happen. So now you've got nine and a half minutes to figure out what to do. And so my question to you, Laura is what do you do with that time mm. when you have this happen? Like when it's time to run out the clock or it's time to like do something other than enthusiastically say yes to the pitch. Yeah. Like what's it time to do?
1: Um. So most of the time, so I'm going to preface this by saying I don't take pitches at conferences expecting I'm going to meet my next author. Like yeah. because there is a fundamental difference between pitching in person and pitching by sending a query in an email um and that is is you get to actually hear what i say Mm -hmm. right and so it costs money like if you just want to like recite your memorized query letter to me just send it because it's free yeah right and so when there's 10 minutes like even like honestly i um if if people start reciting their query letter to me i like throw them off their game. I like interrupt them and ask them questions <laughs> because I want them to have an yeah. actual conversation with me because they're paying for my, the like they're paying for the conversation. Yeah, pay- but
0: even if they and, don't realize it at the time. Yeah, for the and
1: I yeah. want them, I mean conferences yeah. like cost money and a lot of times those those in-person pitches, they're either included in the cost of the conference or they're extra. Yeah. Um, they're not like usually a ton of money, right. but um, you know, like I want you to get your money worth. Yeah. And so a lot of the time, um, I will kind of interrupt them and get them to start like engaging with me so that I can give feedback instead of like them Rushing out their memorized query, and then me going, okay, but that's not really for me because that's not valuable <laughs> for not anybody. Valuable anybody. It's not. Va- yeah. It's not worth my time, and it's not worth your time, yeah. right? My thought is that the better that you are in pitching, and the more you understand how to sell your book, the less shit I have in my slush pile.
0: Good point, right? And probably the point at which we should say, "Welcome!" Oh, to this episode of Print Run. Hello. Hey. <laughs>
1: I'm interrupting you. Interrupting I, you I'm d- I, I got all excited. I also yeah, haven't yeah, yeah. spoken to like a human That's in true. two weeks. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I was just feeling really proud of that, like transition into the open. I've been really working on that. I don't know if you've noticed. But, I like, haven't. But trying. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, like trying to work whatever we say at the beginning, like into the episode, like really definitely like mm. I'm like some sort of like really great talk show host, which, mm. you know, we are talk show hosts. We might as well be like good ones, you know. Um. But anyway, we're going to try that again, so how about welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: Um, we've got a pretty fun one for you today. I think we've got two really heady topics to kind of discuss through, um, along with a little bit of fun. But before we get to any of that, how about the basics?
1: Yeah, so um, due to my weakened immune system after the year of our Lord 2017, mm-hmm. um, we are not officially behind on special episodes. Still but we're, February, but it? we're pretty close. Yeah. Um, so we still have two special episodes to come to you. Um, if you are a new listener and don't really know what our special episodes are, while well, you're you're in for a treat. Um, we release three special episodes on Patreon every month. The Query Show, which is available for $3 for a limited time, um, is already out for this month. We have first pages coming to you where we critique real first pages of real novels by um, unagented authors and unpublished authors. Um, And then we're doing something really special. Normally, we have an episode called Writing by Reading where we read a published book and kind of take a selection from it and use it to... Talk about writing craft yeah. on a micro and macro level. Um, however, we have, as agents, gotten a lot of emails from various Twitter pitch contests reminding us that they are coming up. Yeah, um, These are contests that just, you know, people querying will have the opportunity to um, tweet about their book a certain number of times a day. You've and all then, seen this. So if you're on yep, writer,
0: Twitter, you know what we're talking. Yep, about.
1: yep, And agents will uh, favorite or select it if they want to see the book. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's like you know we were just talking about um, queries and kind of how important they are and but like how hard they are and how much attention is given. Well, Twitter pictures are kind of a related but whole different skill. So we want to give you the opportunity to have that skill.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, um, you know, apart from all the other stuff that we do, the Twitter show that we're going to do this week, um, it feels especially useful to me because tweets are so short that we can we really can, like, workshop things really thoroughly. And do you know? a bunch of them. Yeah, and do, like, a lot of them. So, like, if you're someone who is, does participate in things like PitMad and DV Pit and uh, Pitch Wars and all those sorts of stuff, like, send us your send us your tweet and we will... We'll get it on there, and we can uh, make sure that you're in tip-top shape for all the various things coming up.
1: Yeah, so we'll talk about what really grabs an agent during the scrolling. Yeah. We'll kind of talk about... Um the The balance of talking about yearbook versus using comps and using kind of hashtags for searchability, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of fun stuff. So that is available um, to Patreon subscribers of eight dollars a month or more. Um, so that that's going to be a fun one. It's going to be the second Twitter pitch of the episode that we've done. The first one went over really well. I hope I think people got a lot of requests out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that is our special special print run news. Mm. I have um special author news. Mm. Cuz Eric, I know your favorite thing in the whole world is being logged on and seeing people be mad at each it's other. It's the
0: only thing that sustains me. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally my the only thing I like.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um so, have you ever heard of Terry Goodkind?
0: I haven't. Um but I'm excited where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> Given the um, preface.
1: Terry Goodkind is neither good nor kind. Hmm. I am not the first person to make that joke, but I am not ashamed. Um, so he's a fantasy author,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? He's published with Tor. Apparently, uh-huh. he is a number one New York Times bestselling author. Uh-huh. So he's got this new book called Shroud of Eternity. Um, and in his post on Facebook as kind of a a promotional tool to sell this book, Mm -hmm. he said, and he quote, he put a picture of his cover and had a post accompanying it that said, shroud of eternity is a great book with a very bad cover, laughably bad. So let's have some fun with it. And then he said, um, you know, like tell us in the comments what you think of the cover and and random 10 will get signed hardcovers. Okay. So,
0: so let's, let's break this down for a second because at this point, at this point, You know he's in. He's messed up, and we're going to find out why in a second. Yeah. He's messed up, but this is savable right now. Yep. This he can backtrack this. He can, you know, he can make he can save face here. But you know, obviously, what he's done is he's posted about his publisher's work in a negative way, right? Like he's basically said my book cover isn't good. Let's all roast it, and you can almost see like where where he comes from yeah. the impulse the impulse is almost almost okay it's like he wants to be a little bit self-deprecating he wants to kind of laugh at what he thinks of as himself you know like it's one of those things where ha 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 this you know my book sucks let's you know let's roast it and the people who But like you
1: should read it right
0: exactly like you know you that sort of you get it at least on that level but he calls out he when you point out how bad a specific element that someone else worked on is a book cover it ain't good it's it's gonna blow back in your face and that's what happened because um the
1: the illustrator (laughs) of the book who um whose name is bastian lecouf de harm um responded on the Facebook post. So like, yeah. clearly this illustrator was like, working with this New York Times bestselling author and like, you yeah. know, followed them on Facebook. right? Um, and he said, it was nice working with you, Terry. What you are doing is totally disrespectful. <laughs> as if I didn't create those covers according to exactly what I was told to do.
0: Okay, so, <laughs> so hold on. Let's just, let's just, let's diagram this up. Like we're, yeah. we're like, it's like a football play with a little yellow marker, you know, the yeah. telestrator. So we're still okay here like obviously we've had a confrontation you've
1: insulted Think, the illustrator you've insulted
0: the illustrator that's terrible you shouldn't do that but you can say face here you can say oh man i it was thoughtless of me i realized i shouldn't um you know i shouldn't have said that like if i had a gripe i should have taken care of it internally you know maybe we could have talked you know any number of things other than what he did but good and kind this is, and this is the beauty,
1: good this kind is the beauty responded of on facebook and said, Bastion, we've never worked together. I've never met, nor have I ever spoken with you. We've never exchanged a message before today. And I never told you what to create for this cover. All of that was between you and the publisher. I think there's been enough pot stirring for one day.
0: I love it. Ooh. Because
1: what an idiot.
0: Well, it's just every this is the best thing about being online that I've that I've determined. Is that online? presents an infinite number of chances to be reasonable that no one ever takes. And like Not no a one. one no one is holding you at gunpoint telling you to get mad or to get abrasive or to get any of these things. And yet and yet it happens each and every time, and people just make fools of themselves, and they decide to double down and they dig deeper. And it's it really is like the best thing there is. It's all yeah. it's and but obviously with this, you know, he's an asshole. Like you can't insult the cover artist, and then when they say, "Hey, you've insulted me," also say, like, like double We've down. We've never on worked it. together. <laughs> it's like,
1: sorry, come I'm on, slamming man. your work on yeah. my work.
0: Yeah, and so, um. Apart from this beautiful gem of a sequence on Facebook, which is a site that no one should ever go on, um, what is your worst cover story of all time?
1: Oh, man. Well, okay. So I don't have a cover story this bad because I don't work with assholes. Mm -hmm. But um, I had a romance novel um, that sold to a romance publisher and we got this cover, and it was like perfectly representative of what the story was. It was sexy. It was um the the model that was representing the heroine kind of with her head thrown back. and mm-hmm. then the the model representing the hero. Um, like kissing her neck right right and so production loved this like you know in at this public at this publisher which is a fairly large publisher mm-hmm. um the editorial team loved it marketing and publicity loved it the author loved it I loved it everybody loved it yeah. right yeah author shows it to her mother mm-hmm. um and her mom so this is about to get really uh not safe for work so put your headphones in everybody Unplug
0: your headphones yeah Un-
1: <laughs> Turn that dial up. Um, (laughs) So the mom, wonderful, wonderful mom, comes back to the author and says, "Hey, honey, this is a gigantic penis Mm -hmm. on the front of your cover." Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so so what had happened in the um, in the in the design of the cover is that the woman had her neck thrown back in such a way that you saw the bottom of her jaw. And the bottom of her jaw very strongly represented the head of a penis. Mm -hmm. And then her neck, which was a little bit veiny and that sort of thing, very much represented the shaft. Sure. Um, And so basically this cover was this beautiful monochromatic like man kissing a gigantic dick yeah and so the author came back and she had a great you know great humor about it but she she was like my mom pointed out that this is a gigantic penis
0: just a whole team email just a- hello everyone
1: <laughs> well no she sent it to me because she was worried <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. she sent it to me because she was worried about like emailing people who do this for a living yeah. like with romance yeah, being yeah. like Hey, you gave me a big old dick. Yeah. Um, and so I got to send that email. That's good. And, um, suffice it to say, everyone was kind of mortified, mm-hmm. and they changed the cover. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and that was my story. Well, that's good. That yeah. ended up.
0: That ended up pretty good. Yeah,
1: day. I. It was actually kind of a bummer. Is that the the original one? Except for the whole penis thing, was like I liked better. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but anyway, it'll never see the light of day. I still have it in my email that I and I like look at it sometimes, yeah. and I'm just like, that was funny. Yeah. Uh, what was your worst worst cover story?
0: Oh boy. Um, most of mine, I think, revolve around the idea of having to find really, really stupidly specific cover art like for what? for various projects, like as an editorial assistant, which is something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Eas do, which is find. Art for the cover designer to use and for the author to sign off on, um, and I remember we had one instance where it was this um, author. He was a he was an entomologist, which is to say he worked with bugs, and the book was all about um, I don't know bug behavior and evolution, something like that. I don't really remember, but. I had to, um, you know, the, the one piece of art direction they had was, you know, put a bug on the cover, right? Like, obviously, very literal. It's especially Hashtag
1: put a bug on it.
0: <laughs> especially because it's an academic press. Like, it's just most of the most covers at those places are either straight type or, like, very literal. And so, you know, they stuck a bug on it. And we got the bug back. We got the picture. And it, the grasshopper that appeared on the on the cover simply, it, like, wasn't emoting. Correctly, according to the author, he didn't look friendly enough. Now, here's the pro- the problem with that, obviously, is that this is a um, one, a photograph of a grasshopper. And so let's not put any human emotions on the grasshopper. How about to start? And secondly, <laughs> it Eric was, Carl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a photograph, right? Like we're not talking about, you know, the hungry caterpillar or whatever. Like you have to actually um, find a picture of a bug. And so now I'm searching Getty or Shutterstock or whatever, trying to find a grasshopper that was smiling appropriately without also being like a kid's drawing. <laughs> and I don't know if you know the sort, but grasshoppers aren't that smiley. They don't actually look that friendly. No. They're bugs.
1: You should actually. know. Actually, they're not people. They're you bugs. You should know this because uh, the, the stop motion animated James and the Giant Peach, the grasshopper was the fancy one.
0: I didn't know that, but I would have, if I had he known was that. was
1: the fancy I one. I would have
0: brought it up at the time. She wasn't the, the sweet
1: one. The sweet one was the ladybug. <laughs>
0: But anyway, what ended up happening is like there was this huge back and forth between the cover designer who was very good and a professional artist and was like... Increasingly frustrated with this strange man who kept telling him to put better bugs on the cover (laughs) and like also but also like refusing to talk to the author directly because that's a perfectly reasonable stance. Like a lot of cover designers really hate talking to authors because things go sideways really fast or things become hyper specific in a way they can't work with. Because
1: then they have to deal with the shit instead of you dealing with it. Yeah, exactly.
0: So they don't want to deal with the shit nor should they have to. Um, And... It's so it was my job to just spend all day looking at grasshopper pictures, and eventually we found one that at least didn't look menacing,
1: mm. you know. Mm.
0: Um, but I don't know. It was like how
1: long did you look? I at I spent those pictures? like a
0: week finding so grasshopper pictures. So my question pictures. is yeah.
1: this. So you have a very picky author Mm -hmm. who works with bugs. Yeah. Why didn't you just send him to Shutterstock and say, find me the grasshopper that is appropriately friendly?
0: Okay. so two reasons for that. One is that all the pictures most, you know, when you send like a, and this is especially, especially true of like academic authors. They don't really think that much about cover aesthetics, right? Like they're not very... I don't know how, what the nice way to put this is. They're not very, like, artistically inclined in that way. They're mostly just about the contents of the book. So sure. this is probably the first time they've ever thought about, you know, a cover like that. And so they usually find pictures that don't work very well. Like, for whatever reason, they're, like, too small or they don't, you know, they're, like, strangely colored. Or, or they're
1: really expensive. Yeah,
0: there's, like, a million reasons why they're bad at looking at stock photography. And the other reason, Laura, is that it felt like a really great way to kill a bunch of time as an EA. Like... I was all about just making sure that if there was a chance to like spend an hour doing bug research, oh yeah, no, sorry, can't come to that meeting. I'm doing bug research. Like it was, it was a great time suck. And if there's anything anyone should know, it's that you should definitely take all the chances you can at your employer to do things like um, Google bugs all day for work.
1: You know, at my first publishing internship, I had to look up on Getty Images. Every single picture of the Queen of England mm. since her coronation. She's been on the throne for a really long she time, Eric.
0: She has really stuck around for a while. Do you huh? know how big shout that out li- to her? <laughs> Hang Long Longtime in there.
1: listener, friend of the podcast. <laughs> um, do you know, that took like over a week. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this was a UK publisher, and I was like, the The plucky young American with her first publishing thing, and you know, clearly, like publishing in America is all about overworking and exploitation. Mm-hmm. um not that way in England. Really? They're just like, here, let's go drink two imperial pints of beer at lunchtime and then work on spreadsheets. It's an adventure <laughs>
0: that's literally what I did at my literally job though, forty so. ounces
1: forty <laughs> ounces of beer, yeah. and then you have to go like do an index yeah, yeah it yeah. was it was honestly hell in yeah. just the best way,
0: so the first like real thing we want to talk about today um, has to do with uh, the Parkland shooting, right? Like, this shooting that we just had down in Florida, um, 17 kids dead in this school shooting. Um, obviously, this is a, um, you know, a terrible tragedy, all those things, but it's also you know developed kind of an interesting response, right? Like, we're seeing these teenagers out in the world in a way that we haven't previously, right? Like, they are... Um, you know, for instance, they were on that CNN town hall the other day where they got a chance to, like, grill Dana Loesch of the NRA, which was incredibly cathartic viewing, I think, for anyone <laughs> who who watched it. But one thing I think book-wise, and there is always a book angle, as you know, um, something kind of cropped up in the book world in response to this as we watched and continue to watch these kids, like, try to find their activist voices, you know, in the wake of what I can only imagine is – The sort of trauma that you know you never forget and um people are people are praising young adult literature as the sort of thing that depicts sort of revolutionary acts you know it's the sort of thing that spends all this time talking about young people stretching the boundaries of what's politically possible and what's um really just any you know just like moving past the boundaries that most teens feel placed upon themselves and i guess um You know, as it relates to this situation and as it relates to any situation of mass trauma like this, it always feels like a little bit of a strange fit to me to say, Yep, there go the teens. They're doing great because we've been writing books for them that have to do with, you know, revolution and insurrection and insubordinacy. And so my Like Harry Potter or the Hunger Games or Divergent or And so my, my question, Laura, is I guess just broadly like, as you're someone who works in this field a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what do you think of that take? Like, do you feel that it is fair to say, yeah, we should be in a moment like this as we see a generation or a, at least this group of teenagers find their political voices in what feels like real televised time? Is there any points for young adult literature here? It feels kind of strange even as I say it out loud.
1: Yeah, I think... I think that's a really good question. You know, there there have been a lot of tweets that I've, like, seen on my, yeah. on my TL yeah. where it's, like, of course these kids are going out there and changing the world where we couldn't because they grew up reading all of these books where teenagers, like, took down, you know, horrible, horrible governments mm-hmm. or, you know, in the face of this ridiculous adversity. And the idea kind of behind that is... You know, kids have endless imagination and they have this whole future in front of them and they have just kind of this endless wellspring of hope. Yeah. And so, of course, they have that. But then they've also seen examples of people, of characters doing, you know, good things with that that wellspring of hope. So, of course, they're making change. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of authors and a lot of readers have been voicing their support for these 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 activists these kids um by kind of justifying their actions using the literature of their time mm-hmm. right um but at the same time i i kind of cringe at that a little bit because it feels like we're giving in a roundabout way all of the credit of the action of these parkland teens and you know everybody else who has um who has you know found their activist voice we're giving that credit to adult creators of, yeah. of literature yeah um you know literature is is largely largely important you know um you know from an academic standpoint mm-hmm. Um, when I when I explain the difference between middle grade and young adult literature, like kind of at its core thematically in the bulk of books, middle grade is really about a character finding their place in a family.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Um, YA is about a, a character finding their place in a community. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the the Parkland students have been doing. They've been finding a place in their community and it's an active place. Um, I just, I just don't like how we're centering the authors. Like, I don't like how we're giving J.K. Rowling props for writing Dumbledore's Army, when you know, when these kids have gone through horrible tragedy and they're being brave and smart and like making change all on their own.
0: Well, I think, I mean, I agree with all that, and I think that to be clear, we're not like coming at the authors of these books. No, that's not, not at all. What, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea that the reason that, you know, these kids may have found, you know, their political voice in a moment like that is something that can be primarily attributed to the books we've given them to read. And I understand on the one hand, like, is though I disagree with it, I understand where it comes from, because, you know, a lot of work goes into this stuff. And I especially with YA, like, this is a community that spends a ton of time talking to itself about what it is, you know, and like what it's trying to be collectively and...
1: And how it can harm or help right, and how it, Yeah,
0: exactly. And so I get why it wants to jump at some of these things, but um, to ascribe that level of causation, to be able to say, to be able to claim this in the way that I think we've seen it be claimed, it, I don't know, it, it feels a little off to me. And I wonder, Laura, does it have anything to do with like what... A book is or does you know because on the one hand you know we've we've talked before about like what what is the point of a book at all and like you know for YA I've heard you describe it as um, it's meant to show people what's possible yeah right to expand imagination exactly which
1: makes sense because the readers are you know they, they they have a a not fully developed prefrontal cortex you know they're kind of exploring who they are and you know as as they're maturing and as they're kind of given more of a position in their community right yeah so in a lot of ways it's it's integral for people figuring out who they are Mm -hmm. right
0: but it also just seems like like i said they don't it just feels so transactional almost or like didactic or something like to say, well, we wrote the book. So now they're like this. It's like that somehow misses the nuance of the point of depicting any of this, you know, like I, I do fully believe that there is a really great point to showing um, you know, to showing political activism in these books. Like you think about even like, you know, the hate you give, right? Like something like that, where, um, you know, you have a book that kind of shows a character finding her political voice, you know, at a moment, and but and it's true, I think, in lots of t- different types of um, books meant for younger people. But um, I don't know. I just I get itchy when suddenly we're taking the actions that happen in the wake of just sort of the sort of unimaginable trauma. You just wish was not part of our national fabric in the way that it is. I'm um, saying, well, look at that. Look at these kids. Great job by us for giving them the books and it's it just feels like we're taking the claim and passing the book if that makes <laughs> sense.
1: Do you know what this reminds me of so much? Um you know giving giving YA literature the credit for you know what's happening with the Parkland students. Um is you know for all the reasons we just said it it seems like a, a a fairly okay idea but with some issues but where i think it really breaks down is when you compare it um to kind of the 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 flip side of that which is you know mm-hmm. we can't hang the the actions of these kids on YA literature unless yeah. we are also willing to hang the you know gut, the rise of gun violence on tv and video games Yeah, and you know and and you look at that claim, you know, by by, you know, politicians and conservatives about, you know, well, this these shootings happen because because of Grand Theft Auto.
0: Because of things that are depicted in media.
1: Which yeah. is ridiculous. Which like is ridiculous. it's ridiculous. Yeah. There have been studies. It's also just like it's also just dumb. You know, yeah. but it's the same thing that you're claiming is, you know, these kids are doing good things because of media. And so I don't know. Like, I, I want to keep championing the books that keep doing this, but I also want to, you know, really raise up the actual activists.
0: Well, I think that it's just a, a matter of taking the impulse behind the take and, like, dialing it down from 10 to a 7.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know
0: what I mean? Like, it's. I think that there is a kernel of truth to the idea that it is important to give young people the, um, you know, the sort of literature that depicts politically unrealistic things as a means of um you know expanding horizons and showing what can be possible if one puts one's mind to it but um I don't know the direct cost feels a little strange to me yeah so the next thing we want to talk about is actually a revisiting um of a book and a person that we have discussed on print run before I think a ways back must have been last year at this point
1: yeah I think it was last um, less, fall. We yeah. uh, we ended up talking about this author during was it the the paste most anticipated books? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. Um summer fall back yeah. But we want to talk about um Curtis Dawkins in the Gray Bar Hotel. If you recall, this is the book written by an inmate in Michigan who has been um, pled guilty and convicted um, of murder and he's
1: serving a life sentence. right serving
0: a life sentence in michigan but managed to get a publication deal right like scribner but decided to publish the gray bar hotel which is his, um you know collection of you know writing and the book has done reasonably well by anyone's standards like it's a you know but for all intents and purposes like it's a success as a publishing project um but something interesting has happened in the last few weeks which is that um, the Michigan Penitentiary where he's staying is fighting to take the money he's earned um, from this book deal as a means of having him pay for his own incarceration, um, and this is all from a New York Times story that we've that we've linked out, you know, on our social media feeds before. But um, the basic idea here is that um, Michigan is one of the states that allows one for, of like
1: forty it's states. It's like a lot of right? states,
0: you know, and we're gonna get to all what that means, but um that has if possible has prisoners pay for their own incarceration their own room and board you know they call yeah. it in prison and they basically are arguing that because this man has come and do some you know financial success you know behind bars that um they should have claim on that they should get to take that as a means of taking what um as a means of paying for his stay there and like right now it's um the money goes to his kids right it's not like he's you know, in prison being you know, like yeah. what would what that even mean? Like, he it's, put it
1: into a trust right, to pay exactly. for his kids' college. Exactly.
0: So it's um and his his fight you know, the means through which he's deciding to fight back is the idea that, you know, prisons have an obligation to um at least, you know, whenever there's a means of taking care of prisoners' families, when like a head of household or something um is, you know, imprisoned, like if there's a means through which that family can be taken care of um, they have to entertain it. you know, they have to, you know, deal with it. and um this would obviously qualify as that. And his basic case here is like, well, this isn't benefiting me. it's benefiting my kids. and there's no reason why, you know they're not guilty of anything. You shouldn't take the money from them. and it just it got me thinking, this whole story got me thinking for a lot of reasons. and the first of which is how I guess there's no other way, I mean, we're, you know we can talk all about just sort of the, Mindless and pointless uh, cruelty for the sake of it that the prison industry, you know, takes on people, you know, in these um, situations and in many others that are much worse than, you know, a guy who, you know, wrote a book and, you know, sold it. Like, this is obviously, you know, he's not suffering on the scale of people suffering in prison. He, you know, it's not that high, but... um...
1: We've spoken about... um... Dawkins before specifically, you know, there was controversy when the book deal was announced that um, there there's a law on the books that stops people in prison from profiting off their own accounts of a crime that they committed, you know, so. Um, if they, if they do indeed publish something, like if you, you know, published a memoir about how you murdered this person, yeah. right. And you made money,
0: yeah. um,
1: legally the family of the victim mm-hmm. is, you know, is, um, gets, gets claim mm-hmm. to a lot of, a lot of your earnings. Right. Um, but this isn't what's happening there, right? This is, you know, it's a, the Graybar hotel is, a bunch of short stories. yeah Um it's fiction. And yeah. the Department of Treasury in Michigan is seeking ninety percent of his assets. Um they're claiming that the cost of his imprisonment since and he's been in prison since two thousand five. So um thirteen years is over three hundred and seventy two thousand dollars. And
0: which is its own issue and which it is its it own issue. That is beyond it, the yeah. scope of this show. And but. his
1: advance his advance was hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Sure. So um there it's it's just like it's taking that claim which is you know before anybody had read the gray bar hotel saying well he shouldn't be allowed to do this because it's you know the vic he's going to profit off of it right he's going to profit off of his crimes
0: it's suddenly a lot of like i mean in this you know if you're interested in our earlier discussion about the book deal itself you can go back and find it but like you know, people really did some hand wringing about who should be allowed to publish, right? Right. And though I just, to me, there's something different about the idea that now that we have let him publish, you know, that debate was settled, right? Right. He published. Like, the book deal happened. He wrote it. um, You know, the book went out into print. But now that he has done that, now that he has, um, you know, produced work while in prison, you know, something, it's almost like they never expected someone to actually do anything productive behind bars and that's where i get a little bit frustrated as anyone with any sort of conscience should even when we're talking about someone who is convicted of murder is that the idea that someone would produce something worthwhile would produce art in prison stands it clearly in it's in full relief now it stands in direct opposition to the entire idea of prison and i think that that is something that needs to be talked about and is something that is incredibly worthwhile because it says that not only is prison meant to keep the people we've deemed as dangerous away from the rest of society you know it's also meant to punish them on a level that is a little bit it feels a little bit more personal and cosmic than that yeah. it's like not only do you have to be in here but the you're not even a, like the idea that you would produce work that someone might actually care about, or the idea that you would um, be anything other than someone who stares at the wall all day, is—I mean—that it, it's—they don't want it. It's wrong. They think that that's against the entire concept, yeah. and that is something that, at least to me, you know, it's one thing like we can debate whether or not. Um, you know, this guy should have a book deal, and he's a murderer, and all these things, and no one is asking anyone to feel sympathetic for him—not in this conversation or anywhere else. But just as an idea, if we're saying that this person shouldn't ha- have a book deal because he's been convicted of a crime and is in jail, then that is logic that is going to get applied to lots and lots and lots of people who you're going to feel a lot more sympathetic for than a lot more sympathy for than this person. It's going to affect You know, if you just think about who is in prison, right? Who actually fills the prisons besides this guy? It's poor people. It's wrongfully convicted minorities. It's all sorts of people who one would think a society was trying to not completely give up hope on. Yeah. And the idea that they would um, fail to um, the idea that producing work is somehow antithetical to the point of being in prison is I don't know. It really rankles me because it's the sort of thing that just fits with. What I think lots and lots of people suspect that prison is actually about was just erasing people. Yeah. right?
1: It's not. It's not about rehabilitation. No. And it's, it's not, not about, about public... you serve your time and then you're done and then you're you know a good member of society. It's it's punishment.
0: And it's punishment beyond just taking you away from your life. It's punishment on the level of your own intellect, of your own creative yeah. drive, and there's, that feels.
1: There's this idea that. You know, kind of when you're in prison, they have your body. But, you know, like a lot of people, you know, focus on, you know, they have my body, but they don't have my mind. Right. And the the effort of the penitentiary system and the state treasury to take away this this particular author's earnings from from the expression of his mind um, dissuages other people from creating art. And that's really, you know, kind of whether it's purposeful or not, it it's taking away that mind, too. You know, when you take away the ability to create art, um, you know, your mind is no longer free. And I think a lot about, you know, locally, we've got, you know, a prison writing project. You know, I went to college um, where we, you know, my my specific college had college level programs and and creative writing with um, our local prison. And, you know, with the idea of people being able to get real college credit while they're in prison. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the surface, these programs are are just great things, right? You know, like you're you're really helping to feed into that rehabilitation versus punishment. The person narrative. who
0: participates in them gets to come away feeling as though they've helped.
1: Right. Which is which is true. And like, yes, that's a big part of about volunteering. Um but when there is the distinction between, you know, taking creative writing class, you know, from a you know a local writer in a prison writing project and being able to actually publish the work that you create in that program um not being able to actually take it out and you know get it read really kind of reinforces the idea that those related programs are meant to make us on the outside and those that are volunteering feel good not to actually help people inside
0: yeah no i mean it's all this stuff i mean i just think so much of you know the prison industrial complex is, has nothing to do with the betterment of, you know, the society, it has to do with enriching people who have a stake in the prison industrial complex at the expense, usually of the most vulnerable people in our society. And it's, I guess, one thing that feels really strange to me is, you know, we online and in the book world, there's so many people who love to get up in arms as soon as there's some sort of chance to appear, you know, woke or, you know what I'm talking about, though. Like, if there's a chance to, like, dunk on the dude who's being problematic, Book Twitter takes it. You know what I mean? Like You want to dunk on Terry Goodkind. (laughs) Exactly. Like, if there's a chance to appear progressive to all your online friends, Book Twitter is all about it. They love that kind of performative crap. But this, to me, is like this is it man like if we're about it this is the sort of thing that we need to be rallying troops for because it's the, like again it has nothing to do necessarily i mean obviously it has a lot to do with this particular case and this particular person but this will be the precedent the next yeah. time you know a wrongfully you know imprisoned you know black person who's in there on some bogus drug charge produces work that we all think is valuable and the state tries to take it from them you know, like, that's who this is going to get used against. And the idea that we can't see that, or the, like, I I don't know, it's been how many days since this Times article published? Have you seen anybody talk about it today? And have you seen anybody talk about it yesterday? Like, it's already faded from memory. No one cares. And because it's a, you know, it's a convicted murder. But, like, if publishing is trying to be progressive, and I, you know, if you know anything about me, um, I don't necessarily think that it is in all the ways it's loudly proclaiming it is, like it's got to show up when things like the prison comp when the prison complex tries to clamp down on book advances like that has to matter and it feels directly relevant like where's the writers guild on this you know where's any of these kind of organizations that could say at least voice support for the idea that a creator should get what they produce you know and it just i don't know like it's one thing you know this you know whoever you know whatever your thoughts on you know um this particular person, like maybe you really hate him and I would not begrudge you if you did um, you think, yeah, he now he can get what he deserves he doesn't get to keep the money, you know, whatever but like, just know that this is the sort of stuff that then gets carried over and held against those who you probably are rooting for and, I don't know I guess it just kind of, I just find it a little bit dismaying, to some extent the degree to which something that feels this provocative has sort of faded from view, and I just wish that in all the in all the easy ways that that you know the book world can call out you know inconsistencies and problematic um, opinions voiced and all those sorts of things like here's a substantive chance to come together for not just for some dude but just for like you know this was a major publishing project like this is not an obscure book we've talked about it twice on this show now you know like this is a um, a mainstream front list like book that mattered to a lot of people that sold that they paid six figures for Like this is not, we're not like in the reads here. Um, And I just wish that um, I wish that people cared more a little right now.
1: We just talked about how in a lot of ways books get um, books, get the, get the credit for a lot of in-person real people activism. This is an example of books actually being activism. Yeah. And, you know, having a book like this, you know, come out and show other people, you know, is, is doing all of the things that we were claiming like Harry Potter and the Hunger Games was doing before. Right. And I, I would love to see Dawkins keep all of his money.
0: Well, it's just, I mean, it's not even, he's not even getting the money, you know, like it's going to other people and that's fine. But it's just, and like I said, I don't think, I think that the discussion and the debate should almost have nothing to do with whether or not, however you feel about this particular book, whether you think it's good or whether you think this author deserves a book deal or not. Like at this point, he's got one. And regardless of him, just the basic idea, should the prison complex be able to take the money? that is that is earned when someone in prison produces art that someone else cares about if you think that the answer to that is no then you should be up in arms right now you should be the alarm bells should be going off and it just i don't know i don't know i just find it i hope that you know obviously it's still kind of in flux and i just hope that like in these situations you know you just never cheer Don't cheer for the state. You know what I mean? Like it's not who that's not who your rooting interest Art is. Art is valuable and, for society. Yeah.
1: That's well, it's just yeah. it's
0: not even um I don't even know if it's that. It's just like creators have a right to what they've produced. And the idea that no this, matter
1: where it is that they produce yeah, it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like the if you th- like there's no take that should include if you're in prison, your artistic voice no longer like they should they have a claim on that too. Like I just ugh. It just drives me nuts. and I know I'm sounding like a whiny little baby here, yeah. but like it, I think it matters. Like it's, you got to really fight on this stuff. And I just don't, I wish I saw at least a little bit more support.
1: But yeah. We're going to, we're going to keep following this, um, and doing, doing what we can for this. Um, but I, I think we've uh, been talking for a little bit and I'm going to use our pub tip to close out the episode to bring you <laughs> back um, to Mr. Badkind, Kind, um, which is this. No matter where you are in the publishing process, keep your shit in house. <laughs> right? Yeah. You you know, like if you're unhappy with your editing or your agent or your cover or something, um, you know, don't don't use social media as a way to resolve this. You know, there there are a lot of ways to sell a book and this is not one of them. Um, So you you know, if you don't want to just kind of like Burn your career, make it go up in flames. Um, there will be issues, but but keep it in, keep it in house, and make sure that you um, solve them like real, like a real adult.
0: Just understand when and how to voice a complaint, and exactly. if you don't know, ask someone in your corner. You know, like um, like I said, I mean, I think that this guy initially wasn't trying to be rude or provocative. He thought he was kind of being funny. It was the double down that really kind of screwed him over, and. Um, You don't have to be that guy. You don't have to be the bad kind. Um, You can be the good kind.
1: Be the good kind. When
0: good kind isn't the good kind, you can be the good kind. (laughs) Uh, Anyway.
1: Anyway. um, Definitely tune in to Patreon for our first pages and our special Twitter pitch episode. Um, We will see you good kinds for a regular episode next Tuesday.
0: Bye.